Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, episode number 984, with my good friend and author, Ron Schultz, about a new book, or I should say his 25th anniversary of his book, that he co-authored with Howard Sherman entitled Open Boundaries, Creating Business Innovation Through Complexity, the 25th anniversary edition. This podcast number 984 is brought to you by Sivan Hassett, author of a new book entitled Entering the Mind. If you want to know more about Sivan Hassett, his works, you may visit his company website at www.riotmaterial.com, www.riotmaterial.com. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author Ron Schultz about his new book that he co-authored with Howard Sherman entitled Open Boundaries, Creating Business Innovation Through Complexity, the 25th Anniversary Edition. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. I have a very good friend joining me from Eugene, Oregon. His name is Ron Schultz. And Ron and I have known each other so long that his hair has fallen out. <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, this is his, his revi- I'm going to say the 25th anniversary of a book called Open Boundaries that we're going to be talking about today. And this is Creating Business Innovation Through Complexity. Uh, he co-authored this book with Howard Sherman. So shout out to Howard Sherman as well. Um, the first original- I will tell you that Howard is still dead. Okay. Is he still dead? Well, we put a shout out to him wherever he is. Uh, but but the book, a new edition with the revisions is excellent. Uh, this is actually, this is 25 years. It's actually been 27 years. I think it was 1995. But the reality is, is that the content of the book uh, is still applicable, as much applicable today as it was 25 years ago, but has been updated. So again, the book is Open Boundaries. Uh, look for it. We'll put a link on Amazon. Ron, I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Um, Ron's written and co-authored and edited 25 published books on social innovation, meditation, emergence, science, and entrepreneurship. In 2014, he received the Social Innovation Leadership Award from the World CSR Congress. Among his books are Creating Good Work, the world's leading social entrepreneurs show how to build a healthy economy. That was in 2013. The Complex Buddhist, Doing Good in a Challenging World. Again, same publisher as this one. And Open Boundaries, which that's this book that we're talking about, but the 21st anniversary edition. Uh, in addition to his book publishing credentials, Ron has written hundreds of nationally publicized magazine articles and had an extensive career in television and film. Uh, Ron has spoken and lectured at the Skoll World Forum and the World CSR Congress, the Social Enterprise World Forum, the Oxford Jam, and numerous Social Enterprise Alliance summits. Uh, he did his undergraduate work at the California State University, Northridge, which has recently accepted his uh, archives for his collection. He's also on the board of directors for the Tom and Ethel Bradley Foundation and the Institute for Study of Coherence and Emergence. And as I said, he lives 
in Eugene, Oregon. He transplanted himself up there a few years back. So, Ron, you know, you and I have known each other so long, but you co-authored this book with Howard. And at this point, it's like 27 years ago. If you would tell the listeners how complexity played a role in innovation 27 years ago, and what has changed relative to our current complex business environments as it relates to this, because this, if anything's happened, our worlds have just sped up even more and they become more complex. Well, what has to be understood is that complexity didn't start 25 years ago, 27 years ago. No, it started a long time. It was, you know, since the beginning of time and and probably before the beginning of time, it was, uh, you know, this is as a definition of complexity very quickly, you and I interact, something emerges out of that interaction that is greater than the sum of our two parts and not wholly contained by uh, by either of us. And when we start including more people than us in that, in that interactive process, things get very complex. In fact, those people who are in relationships will, uh, with another person will discover that a relationship of two can become very complex and very quick. And so the impact on business has always been operating out of this complex environment what's happened is we really haven't we haven't focused on it we haven't recognized it. we've been trapped in old ways of thinking in this case uh we're coming out of a mechanistic universe that wants everything to fall into certain predictable patterns and the, and the part of that's interesting most interesting about complexity is that uh, that predictability is not possible because things are constantly emerging, emerging and constantly changing. Yeah, the complexity part of it, um, it, 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 it seems, and I'm sure it's, like you said, complexity has been here since the dawn of time, but it, it seems in the world in which we live, especially with the amount of technology that we have to deal with and how much we rely on all of this, you and I here making a call that's a a great example of how this world's become even more complex. You state that the process of forming and informing uh, has always played a major role uh, in this book. Um, what is the paradox is by the very nature of complexity that cannot be fully formulated because it's is continually emerging. Speak with the listeners about the slippery nature of complexity thinking, because it is very slippery, let's face it. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to put boundaries around it. You say open boundaries. That's why the book is open boundaries, because it's it's tough. Yeah, well, the, sli- the, the um, use of the word slippery is very interesting and very apt. Um, what we're really looking at, too, is the notion that the uh, because of the emergence, because of our sense of, of things interacting and emerging all the time, we can't hold on. And that slippery nature is about our grasping, trying to hold on to it. And we have, it's one of the issues that have, has you know, caused so many problems in this, in, uh, in and around our world, is our need to grasp and hold on to things and keep them as they are, as opposed to allowing them to emerge, to change. And the same thing is certainly true within our, um, our business uh, foundations and, and institutions. We, we want them to be solid. And in this case, they're not. They're, in fact, they're, they're constantly changing. 
And so that emerging quality is, is in fact slippery because you can't hold on. There is no grasping. And, uh, and that's an important quality in this whole process is to understand that within our, the work that we're doing, if we're trying to hold on to something, it's just going to slip out of our hands. Uh, we'll speak about that because um, uncertainty seems to be the word that's used. As a matter of fact, in business, there's an acronym, and and I'm I can't recall it right now. You probably can. And there's four letters, and one of them is uncertainty, right? It's uh-huh. it's like dealing with uncertainty. There seems to be in this emerging evolution of the times in which we're living today much more uncertainty. I can remember what seemed to me, and again, this is perception only, that the world was a lot more stable. Um, and and again, I think that's biased thinking. I, I would agree that it's biased thinking. But at the same time, as a human being and the way we're made up and the way our brain works and neurologically how we fire and our amygdala and how we hold things in this little brain up here, it has a very difficult time uh, wanting to make that change. It, it, it fights. It definitely fights moving to this, as you call it, let go. You know, it's like there is people. I mean, you look, you're the, the one with all the background and training in Buddhism. And, you know, as I, I have a quote on my wall over here, you know, the Dalai Lama says, you'll be remembered for how many people you loved, who loved you and how much you let go. Right. I'm paraphrasing. And it's that let go part that I have a feeling that everybody listening to this show has the most difficult time with. Well, it is. It's hard. Letting go is the notion of letting go is is hard. But what I what I've often said, especially when I'm teaching people meditation, is that it's not so much about letting go. It's about holding on. And if we're not holding on to something, we've got nothing to let go of. And it's in in that context, I can understand letting go easier. It's I, I get there easier because if I'm not holding on, there's nothing to let go of. And that's the whole practice. That's the whole idea of this, is that within a complex adaptive system, and that's what we're talking about here, are systems that are able to adapt, that in that change process, if we try to hold on to it, all we're doing is killing it and not allowing it to change and emerge as it wants to do. And the whole notion of these systems, you and I are complex adaptive systems, the whole notion of these systems, is that it's constantly moving and changing. That whole process of, um, in the Buddhist Buddhist area, it's called impermanence. In in the business area, it's called that damn change. Yet another change operation. But the thing is, is that that it's always changing. Everything that we're doing that is in an adaptive system is changing. And that's why people were so loath to let go of the mechanical universe that system that is very predictable that when you build a widget you build the same widget over and over and over again and the system doesn't change and you feel comfortable think that they feel comfortable but what actually happens is that stops them from really moving into something new and now which is the root of innovation yeah 
And along with that, which is another Buddhist term, which is used, it's the acceptance of what is, right? It's like we, we sometimes have a preconceived notion as we're inventing something, making something, doing something that we think it should turn out a certain way. And when we resist, we're not accepting what is or what's trying to show up for us, which is the emergence of the development of this product, service, whatever it might be, um, because we think it's got to happen this particular way. Um, And in your comments on the myths of the closed system, you state that in stark contrast to the Newtonian closed system, open systems are not mechanical, but emergent. I think that's important to note here. Um, speak with the listeners about open systems and their emergent properties, because that's really what the essence is. Yeah. Well, we have this delusion, illusion that we can close our systems, that especially systems that involve people and the systems that are that are uh, adaptive, um, that we 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 think that if we can close them, we can predict them, we can protect them. And what we understand, of course, is that um, you know, it's, it's kind of why we build fortifications. We think that these fortifications are somehow going to protect us, when in fact they not only protect, they may protect us, but they also lock us in so we can't go beyond those, those boundaries and we get stuck in those places. And in business, we're constantly having to adapt to what the world is show, how the world is showing up. And so we have to view our systems. We have to recognize that our systems are open by their very nature and that the closed system is the unnatural system. And uh, so if we can, we can recognize that our systems are open. We can be willing to follow that emergent process that will invariably happen because, you know, we can't not do that. You know, any, any, any biological system, any living system, is going to interact with something else, and out of that, something new will emerge. And I always find it fascinating, Ron, how over the years, you know, I've had so many people on this show, we're almost at a thousand, and um, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of interviews I've had with Ken Wilbur, who got involved in actually codifying what he thought these systems were inside of companies as well, right? So, and he used color codes. Red meant that it was a very caustic all the way down to a colored system, right? And the reason I brought that up is because Frederick Ledoux, who wrote a book, who's over in France, I was talking with somebody about yesterday. And it's really about what we're talking about here, the open boundaries, right? The open boundaries, this emergence, um, this being able to not think we've got to have a closed system, but innovation is the key. So you state that businesses know they must innovate to survive. And this is true. I don't think you can force innovation. And unfortunately, that's kind of what a lot of these companies have attempted to do. But that innovation are uh, uh, incompatible with the company's principles. You state that businesses know that they must innovate to survive, but that innovation, that they are incompatible with the company's principles, are often uh, produce confusion rather than growth. 
Um, speak with us, if you would, about the principles, models, rules, and behaviors that interfere with true innovation. Because, you know, they, every know, company has... Right? I think that that's, a, that's a, a bit of a misunderstanding around that. Okay. Uh, they, can, they can interfere if we're not addressing it. Principles, models, rules, and behavior is really how things happen, how things change, and why they don't change. So uh, the, the notion here is that the principle... Uh, of an organization are inviolate. We don't change our principles. We go in with a certain way. We want to create the best product, uh, the best products in this market. We want to become the number, you know, so that becomes our, what we're trying to attain, what our organization wants to accomplish. And that doesn't change. Those stay pretty much the same. But in order to meet that principle, we create models that are constantly changing. We're trying to model what it takes to accomplish that principle. So we create a model or a representation of that it's not, the model is always changing, it's never complete. And in order to, to make that model happen, we have to have certain rules that govern the behaviors that will build that model, that will create that model. And so what ends up happening is that when our model changes, which it will, it always changes, we also have to go back and change the rules that govern that and the behaviors that were governed by those rules. And so if we don't do that, if, we're, if, we, if, if we have a new model and our old rules are still in place, we're, getting, we're not getting the behaviors necessary to create that new model and things fail. But yeah. if we, and so it's a, con, a continual process of uh, updating in, in, in our rules and our behaviors to meet the new model, to build the new model. And when we refuse to do that, or we don't do that, or we don't recognize that we have to do it, we don't get what we want. And the change that we would like to happen doesn't. But if we do, if we maintain that, what can emerge is often inconceivable as to when we began. I remember uh, it being referred by Margaret Wheatley as this, these ecosystems. Right inside of companies, I'm sure you're familiar with Margaret Wheatley's work as well. And it, and and she would state things like, you know, you can't have that innovation again, like you guys are saying, unless you have this opportunity for people to create. In other words, creating um, a, a culture that. Uh, is consistent with that. Now, we know many companies have done a very amazing job, Apple being one, to allow this to happen. Patagonia, you know, let my people surf, um, all of those things. Uh, you want to comment about the creating the ecosystems that are necessary for innovation? The, the ecosystems exist. What we have to do is just recognize that we are part of that ecosystem. We are part of a great, you know, it's, it, we, we keep thinking that we're somehow separate from our ecosystem. That's probably part of our problems uh, in terms of addressing that because we are very much a part of all those different processes. And uh, to define one, you know, to, to define the, 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 uh, the environment of a business as a separate ecosystem oftentimes immediately sets it up for a, a form of failure. We have to recognize that what we're doing is really connecting, is connected to uh, an entire um, ecosystem of our universe. 
steps. And then each each process of this that we that we're involved in, there's a there's an emergent process that, that builds it and builds it and builds it. So that it is all part of one system, but at the same time that system is interactive. And that when we try to define it by an ecosystem here or an ecosystem there, it what happens is we shut we start closing down uh the those what we call open boundaries now it's you know there, there was a thing called there is a there is a thing called self-organization uh which has been very big in this process that people have misunderstood Eliot um uh, what is his name the, the physicist uh, Ilya uh okay at, at any rate the 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 fellow who, who defined um uh, this notion of self-organization, uh, Prigogy, there he is. Ilya, Ilya Prigogy, who is a Nobel physicist. What he said is that there is uh, this self-organization, but it requires boundaries. It doesn't just happen in and of itself. It needs to be bounded. It needs to be have that, that area around it. And this is the whole notion of what open boundaries is is it provides that container that will allow for self-organization to take place so that new things can emerge, but at the same time, it has that permeable quality that allows it to open up into the world of law. Agreed, agreed. You know, I think it's, um, I don't know if this is the right term, but I'll use it. It's, It's having trust that the system will actually self-emerge, self-evolve, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you can certainly, you can absolutely have trust in that because it's, you know, as we say, it's one of the few things that is guaranteed about business is that it's going to change. Yeah, yeah, it, it is true. And I think it's around the resistance of understanding about these, how this works, right? That really is the thing that, you know, cogs up, it, it creates a lot of messes, a lot of messes. Um so, you know, you mentioned in the book that if Einstein uh, was still living, that he had the inclination to cap- uh, capitalize on his theories and discoveries, that he'd be the CEO of the largest company on the face of the earth. I thought that was a great statement. And I would agree. Um, uh, but he he didn't commercialize all those things that he thought about. And many people since have commercialized what he thought about and made lots of money off of it, uh, him and Tesla and a bunch of others. Um, what is business and how can it thrive and embrace new ways of thinking? Well, as you know, it needs, it, it needs to embrace new ways of thinking in order to survive. And, you know, business is, is, a, is a complex set of, of interactions to produce something that, that is, um, that is, you know, there's something that you want to produce. There's something that you want to accomplish, and that's and business is is about the process of doing that uh, for profit, and it can be for not non for profit as well. And those those organizations are also equally as complex, but it is an organization process, and the the notion of um, being able to maintain and evolve to a new way of thinking is merely being open to the process of that emergent that emergent process of things changing 
of things interacting and new things coming out of it. Because the whole notion of that is that it's uh, what e- what can emerge out of an interaction is is both new and now, which is what innovation is about. But it's also important to understand that complexity is agnostic. You know, good things can emerge, bad things can emerge, non you know neutral things can emerge. It's that interaction is not necessarily going to produce a uh, a positive emergence. So we have to have some uh, discretion and some way of looking at things, of discerning what is good and what isn't good. And that's what characterizes the business that stays in business from a business that goes out of business, is that ability to discern what works and what doesn't. But it's also being open to that new way because we can find, we can find that path. It's like creating new neural networks. Well, yeah. it is because, you know, we have to adapt and adopt. We have to cope. You know, complexity thrown at me or uncertainty thrown at me or whatever it might be, uh, it starts with the individual inside these organizations to be able to understand how to work with it, how yeah. how to be a partner with it. Yeah, we right? try to we try to sanitize out the unsanit the uncertainty. Right. And that's a real that's a a, a real mistake. Uh, it we, is. Because it's uncom- we're uncomfortable with that uncertainty, with not knowing. And that's what we want things to be predictable. And well, and part of that, Ron, is the system you were talking about, the the systems inside the principles inside the company the beliefs inside the company, you know, if you have a top line manager, let's just talk about that, you know, and I work under him or her or whatever, and they are pushing me to get something done. I don't have the time maybe to wallow, which actually, if I could wallow, right, I'd probably make a better decision. They're literally looking for decisions to be made because they believe that it's driving profit. The longer it takes to innovate something, the more money it costs us. You know, you could, the list is a mile long, right? Um, And it does require that everybody in the company understand these principles more clearly. Rules of behavior and the relationship of those. Yeah. But what we also need to understand is that complexity and this is the place where we fall down a lot, complex, complexity can't be managed. Right. Because of its predictive nature, it can't really be managed. It can be led. And so that's why leaders have to uh, recognize the complex nature of their organization and lead them and not just try to manage them. Because managing them is a continual system of closing the system so we can get a better handle on it, Right. That's right. what management is about. And this is not, and, and the, the paradox is, is the harder you hold on, uh, the quicker it slips away. Yeah, no, that's so true. You know, and in that, um, I want to talk about chaos for a second. You provided a definition according to Mike uh, McMaster in the book. Um, can you speak with us about the difference between chaos and complexity as it relates to innovation in business. Because, Absolutely. You know, and I think the best way to do that, Greg, is to uh, use what we call a phase transition, which is actually very simple. So if we think of a, uh, a, a block of ice as being a solid, and as the sun beats on that block of ice, 
it goes through a phase transition and melts and turns into a puddle of water. And that puddle of water is the complexity out of which things can emerge because that puddle of water can mix and it can, you know, other places within that water can find new, new avenues and new interactions and new places to happen. And then what happens in that system, it goes through another phase transition where it evaporates and it turns into a gas and it evaporates up into the universe. And that is, and that's where chaos is. That, that dissipation of the water into that gas form becomes chaotic. And what, what you end up having is that you, you have these little islands floating about. And so that there's real, no real coherence within them. And so the complexity, the, the watery area that is in that phase transition is really where we have the greatest ability to affect change because it, be, it is bounded. There is a, a membrane around that puddle that allows it to interact with, with other parts within them. And um, the, uh, this whole process is, uh, gets oftentimes gets, uh, oh, that's too chaotic. When in fact, what we're saying is we're, we don't, we, the, the, the whole notion of uh, the complexity scares us too much and we don't even want to get to it. So we, we kind of extend it out beyond the boundaries of what, what is really complexity into this area of, of, uh, of, of little pockets that can't be understood. Yeah, it, and again, it's as, as simple as this might be to understand, it's difficult for our brains and us to to actually implement. It's a lot easier to talk about than it is to really implement it on a regular basis, especially in a working company with hundreds of employees who are all interacting with one another and have to deal with this. And if if you would define these adjacent possibilities, um, you state in the book that the businesses that succeed are those that are first within an industry to see an adjacent possibility and to act upon it, okay? And you and I have talked about adjacent possibilities before. Um, and, I, and I hear the term being used. I'm not certain there's a clear definition for the listeners. So I'd love to give them a clear definition. And then how you think adjacent opportunities come about for somebody to uh, capitalize on. Well, adjacent opportunities are those are adjacent possibilities also what I call the adjacent opportunities, are those possibilities that are one step away from where we are right now. They surround us. They, every time we, we, take a, we make a choice, every time we make a decision, something new emerges. And out of that emergence, there's also emerges a new set of, of these adjacent possibilities. And what it is about, in our, from a human perspective, is recognizing what they could be, what they are. They're, they're right there, and it's a matter of seeing them. Again, they're agnostic, so some of those possibilities suck, and they, they are not going to deliver what, what we want. Others, others of those possibilities are going to be uh, the next step in the whole process of innovative process of our business. And so it's a matter of really being open to those and being aware of what they might be and what they could be. And as I said, an adjacency is the closest we can have to where we are right now. So it's just 
one step away from where we are, but we're surrounded by those adjacent possibilities. And uh, the second part of your question is how do you act upon it? You know, it's about, about re- first of all, it's about recognizing, about being able to see it, and about seeing if it, it, is, it is something that, that makes sense for the organization. And that is, that is part of it that falls under the principles of the organization. Because it's within that system of principles, models, rules, and behavior that we can make that change to that new adjacent possibility. And, but it, and without, without that, without recognizing its relationship, uh, you could pick a, a, a possibility that isn't appropriate for the organization and just go down a, a rat hole into something that really, you know, pull the whole company down. Yeah. Well, I think Rita McGrath, I had her on here, and um, one of the things that she speaks about is seeing around corners. Um, those adjacent possibilities, opportunities, as you might say, are a result of being aware. Um, and you, you're actually aware and you're looking for ways to kind of almost, I don't want to say this, but I'm just going to say it, predict what's going to happen, right? In other words, to have this little crystal ball and say, okay, I, I, you know, look, we take data in from all kinds of places. We assimilate this data and we rely on data. Many of us are making decisions based on a lot of data that's being fed to us, whether it's through the internet, whether it's through our employees, whether it's through other vendors, it's people on the outside we hear from. And we hear things and then we go, ah, an opportunity. Uh, you know, this, this is something that I could seize. And <clears throat> I love the fact that if you are aware, you can almost find an adjacent opportunity somewhere frequently. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of people finding them. Let me, let me define a little different so that, um, there are, we, we, the environment gives us cues as to what is about to emerge. It, it, we don't see it exactly. We don't know exa- precisely what's going to happen. But there are cues within the environment that says this is about to happen. And it's those people who can recognize those cues who are the ones who can open up to those adjacent uh, opportunities, possibilities. It is, in, in, it, it is, to a certain degree, intuitive. And it takes a, a level of, of ability to be open to to what you to what's around you, and if you're if you're look if you're used to looking at this kind of narrow world, this narrow focus that that is a, a as a way of kind of filtering out all this stuff and all that we can miss the cues. And what we often talk about is how do you create cue spotters within an organization who can see what's happening who. The, uh, the Marines had a great uh, example of this. They called them creative contributors. And mm-hmm. because when they went to smaller units, they each unit needed to have this creative con- uh, contributor who could kind of stick his head up, metaphorically stick his head up above the hole and kind of sniff the air and get a sense of what was going on around them. Right. And because of that very nature uh, of, of exposing themselves in that fashion, they're easily killed, as the Marines would tell you. And so that the, they become somebody that needs to be protected within the organization. And so that they're the ones who can, who have that ability to see, 
not necessarily predict, but at least be able to read the cues. Yeah, I'd agree. And be, and be able to uh, to uh, bring that back as a as a means of, of to operate the organization more effectively. And I, I, I always like to use example. You know, I happen to hear this story about a woman in a company back east, made in America, and um, some of the great examples of how people are innovative in that space. And one is that they she decided to make customized books. So we know that the world today, the way it's evolved, you know, you can order a book off Amazon and literally it's almost produced the same day and it comes out. So she gets these presses and she customized books for people any time of the year for birthday, holiday, with Ron's picture in it, with a picture of his dog, with whatever, produces this book and last year produced 500,000 books that were customized to people order off the internet, right? And you, because people love customized things, they like things that they can hand to Ron and say, Hey, Ron, here's the, you know, the picture of your family. And I put it in this book and they built the story too. And the cartoons around it, right? In other words, the whole character thing. And it's fascinating how somebody is quickly able to take an opportunity and push those books out literally within days to people who are putting them up, the pictures up on the net, using the net to get them, organize them, put it into a book, print it in color, send it back out, use it for Christmas, a holiday, a birthday, a bar mitzvah, whatever it might be, but literally has made a, a very, very successful business. And I and I love stories like that because it's just, it's just fascinating how somebody sees an opportunity, an adjacent opportunity and seizes it, right? They didn't go, oh, well, Simon and Schuster has to make all those books because they're the ones that do it. No, I can make those books on my own. Those presses are cheap now. I can either rent one, I can buy one, I can do whatever. It was, it's just great. It's great to see. Well, it's, it's having that, that courage, if you will, to, uh, to act on. Because yeah. what happens is we, there's always this plethora of new opportunities that are coming at us. And it's the notion is to see it. What, what happens with a company like that is that they're able to pick up the cues as, as and move toward that, yeah. as opposed to having to look behind them to try and find what has emerged. Right. So it, right. It is, and, and that's the real key is that how do you, how do we train our, our workforce to be able to see what's coming toward them? Rather than having to look behind, because as soon as you look back, somebody has a competitive edge on you. Yeah. Well, you if we use what you call champies language, businesses are made of ideas, ideas expressed as words, then the critical barrier to innovation is stuckness, you said, and inadequate ideas and formulations. What are some of the questions that we could ask to determine if our ideas are viable and discard the ones that are no longer useful? And this is very appropriate this time because we were just talking about it. Right. And, and you and, have a and, list of questions in the book. Yeah, uh, we, which, we have a, a they're, they're really investigations, allowing people to invest, to, to really look at what their organization, the different pieces. And, and, the, and the answer to that question, Greg, is really in the question. That the, the ones that are no longer useful, how do we how do we recognize what's no longer useful and what's getting in the way of our process? Now, what happens? You know, I'll give you an example that is that everyone has. You go into your refrigerator, and there are invariably, well, at least in our refrigerator, 
There are invariably, invariably things in the back of the refrigerator that have been forgotten that haven't been cleared out. And after a while, they begin to stink. And you, you recognize that this, that this process is there. And so the notion is it's no, those things are no longer useful and they're causing an impediment within the, or, within the system itself. And it's causing an impediment out in the room with what's going to smell. So you get rid of those things. And those are, you know, those are pretty obvious things that have to go. But we have to really look at, is this something that is useful? Is this something that is uh, producing the, uh, the, that is adding to our model, that is helping us produce, adequately produce what we're trying to accomplish? And if it's not, then we have to let go of it. And again, it's part of that process of trying to figure out what what to hold on to and what not to hold on to. It's a really a, a discriminating awareness and understanding that discernment of, of what it is that, that is working, what it is that isn't working. And, being well, able, and, and that you know, is true. I mean, and, and when you ask that question of anybody, any business, right. you know, what you're trying to see is kind of, I'm going to call it the delta between, okay, I do these things, this doesn't work. How come you haven't let go of what's not working? You're still doing it. You know, it's the old shit still sitting right. in the back of the refrigerator, right? Right. Um, well, you and I work, you know, I've worked in the nonprofit sector a lot. Yeah. And in the nonprofit sector, there's an awful expression about trying to get something done. Sometimes you have to kill the puppy. Mm-hmm. And the issue is nobody wants to kill the puppy. But the, it, the thing is, is that it does, there are times when that doesn't work. Now, that's going to uh, upset all the people from PETA. But the, the notion is, is that sometimes that's not, you know, it's time, and that's metaphoric, please. Right. That sometimes it's, it's, you know, we have to get rid of what we, what we are clinging hardest to. We really want this. I, this is a good idea. It's got to work. And we try it and we try it and it runs us, and we run it into the ground. And so we have to recognize when is something not working? Be willing to be, have that discernment to recognize when something is not working. And, rec- and also understand that we're surrounded by other possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it kind of closes. You get pretty myopic when a lot of that stuff gets stuck in the back of the refrigerator. Uh, and, and once you clear it out and you have the willingness to clear it out, you realize you've made room for, for either more or you've made room to see what you have better and say, Hey, these are the things that I use. Why did I buy that other stuff? I didn't really need it anyway. Right. So that's a great example. Well, Um, innovation is also a, a notion of, of not only what is missing, but what can we put in that place of something that's missing? Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily that there's a part missing, but something new might go into that place. Well, let's, let's wrap our interview up with this question. You know, the, the book has got a lot of great stories in it. It's an opportunity for people. And we'll put a link to Amazon to this. Yeah. Also there put a link is. into emergent product, emergentpublications.com. Because we'll put a link to them as well. We'll do both. both. Um, so go out and get a copy of Open Boundaries. It's going to, uh, give you an opportunity to have some insights to open your mind about new possibilities, about way of thinking, new ways of thinking. But Ron, 
all the stories, the ideas, the wisdom about complexity, what are three takeaways that you would like to leave our listeners with that would help them thrive in a world of complexity? What what three takeaways from this? You know, we've been almost on for 50 minutes now. Um, what what would you like to tell the listeners? Well, first of all, you know, you have to, you can't, things change. You're going to have to be willing to be open to that change process and understand that any, any kind of adaptive system that you're involved in is going to change. And if you do that, then it's, a, it's crucial to be able to look at your models, rules, and behaviors and understand that they're, that they are in constant relationship to each other. And then when the model changes, which is what you're trying to produce uh, according to your own principles of the organization, when your model changes, you also have to change the rules that govern the behaviors that are put in place to create them. And if you don't, that's the greatest downfall. And that's, that's one of the, the most important aspects of this process. Because the, what we were talking about in terms of a formulation and inform. What happens when we formulate our ideas and we solidify them, we lock into that solidification all the, the potential and all the limitations of that, of that process. And if we formulate and solidify it too much, those limitations can overtake the possibilities and then we arrive dead on arrival. So it's really important to be able to open to the, to the processes that are around us, to be open to the and to change our, 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 because our models are constantly changing, being willing to change the rules that we govern our, our behaviors and so that we can get what we want. And those, if we can do that, we can do that. Well, I think, again, it's, it's exposure for my listeners to find alternative ways of approaching, whether it's a problem or it's an opportunity to look at open boundaries as a way to creating business innovation through this complexity that they're probably dealing with. And the book does a very good job, huh? Undoubtedly dealing with Yeah, undoubtedly everybody is. And uh, but it but the book gives is this a great opportunity for people to look at systems, the way they might be thinking, uh stories that other people have. Uh, so, Ron, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks for spending this time with us. Here's the book. We'll put a link. We'll have a link to Emergent Publications as well. We'll have one to Amazon. And namaste to you. Thanks for being Thank on. You. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.